Hello, everybody, and welcome to some interseason fun family goodness. <laughs> it's not. It's not going to be at all. But don't worry. Hmm. I'm still your host, as always, Jack Chambers. And as always, I'm joined by Mr. Matthew Stogden. Angel Haseo. Yep. Matt actually thought of one when it's interseason shit because <laughs> yeah. I was going to say hello and then realized oh, I know I'm going to do. Ah, okay. Yeah, that will be explained later on. So that's actually a reference a lot of people might not get until much later in the episode. So yeah, yeah. Usually just scream, pigs, <laughs> And people have to go out from there. But, you know. Um, I could do a different one if you like. No, no, no. I enjoyed it. Okay. You, you actually put thought into it for once, so it was nice. I always put thought into it. The thought is just bad. <laughs> or the thought is half a second before I say, I'm Matthew Stogden. Pigs! <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does God need with my bum hole? <laughs> God, I'm yep. the fucking worst. Yeah, you are the worst. You know who's the best? Timothy Mayton. Timothy Mayton. Mmm, guns. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Timothy Mayton. I couldn't think of any memorable lines. No, from there, but... no, I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> so we've tackled trilogies in the past, gentlemen. We've talked about some of our favourite trilogies. Yes. We've talked about some trilogies that have fallen off cliffs yes. and things like that. We've talked about sequels. Many a time. Mm. It's time to discuss something that, funnily enough, Mr. Plowman hinted at in a previous trilogy episode. Did that's not a necessarily like narrative consecutive trilogy or anything like that, mm. but a thematic trilogy. And mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Stoggs, would you care to elaborate for the dear listeners what a thematic trilogy is in pigs. terms of <laughs> <laughs> pigs, pigs? More pigs, 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 and sheep. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so we discussed previously in our trilogies episode where we were talking about narrative trilogies specifically um and as you mentioned alec plowman picked um the dollar trilogy by sir mm. Giuliani. and we all had our own different ones and they were all very good and that's a good episode you go listen to it not now you <laughs> listen to it after the episode <laughs> um but we highlighted in there i think five different types of trilogies and one that people when you say oh what's a trilogy of films and you get the obvious one and then the sort of the the more connoisseur film person the arty-farty one the arty-farty fucker is going to say well actually my favourite trilogy is this one it's like well that's not a direct trilogy is it no but if you look closely there are some really strong themes running throughout (laughs) yeah so the thematic trilogy is usually which we'll come back to in a second Mm. usually a director Primarily because at the end of the day, that's the driving force of a film a lot of the time. Yes, it's, it's odd that that's a thing because we talked about, obviously, like as you mentioned, Sergio Leone did mm, the Dollars mm. trilogy, and you, I could, I tried to think of some examples that weren't like all the obvious ones that you think of are driven by the directors. Mm-hmm. You could even have like the same character coming back in different films and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I was like, I can't think of one that doesn't have a director like straight away. And then we started doing our research and stuff. Of and course, obviously we got there eventually. But off the top of my head, I was like, this is defined by the director so much that it is often, even if they're not writing yeah. the films, which is in the case of some of the ones we're going to discuss today, some of them are written by the director, some of them aren't, mm. but they're all kind of like have that weird consistency. Yeah, it's because you hold as a director so much control over how the film looks, feels, and is written and sounds, etc. And subsequently, you can just work things to your advantage, as it mm. were. So if you are, say, and the thing is, usually you have to be someone so independent that nobody cares, or you have to be so 
not beloved necessarily, but so powerful that no one can stop. Influential mm-hmm. and auteur. Yes. Kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What's the... Uh, okay, let's, let's give a prime example. So two fairly contemporary examples. One being Edgar Wright. Because mm. a lot of people jump on that immediately. Well, that's the one that uh, probably most people will think of in Very like, modern, like yeah. the last 10 years or so. Yeah. The... the, yeah. the, the, the Cornetto trilogy as it's known. And again, these things aren't really ever planned out. The first one is Shaun of the Dead. Everyone likes the film. It's great. And it has a Cornetto. The second film Fred, is Hot Fuzz. It? And it had a Cornetto again. It's like, and oh. It, and it's blue, isn't it? It's blue. It's a different one. So now it's, oh, now it, there's a three, there are three flavors. It has to be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And then The World's End came out and we're not going to talk about that. Um, I had a discussion on Twitter the other day. Oh, yes. Somebody picked their second favorite movie, not in that trilogy, but ever as The World's End. And I had words. I had words with this young man. I don't dislike it as much as you two do, but I, having it I as your second... I don't, I don't hate it. I do. It's clearly, <laughs> the, it's clearly the worst of the three it's definitely by the a weak. country yeah. fucking mile. Yeah. It feels like someone dragged back to do something they don't want to do and just going, ah, fuck it, they'll do it. Because it was. You're damn right. And yeah, that blew my mind. But I think, yeah, the Cornetto trilogy is kind of the, the more most mm. recent famous example yes. of... You've got the same actors mm. and then recurring characters and recurring actors, sorry, playing different characters throughout mm. this thing, mm-hmm. and each tackle certain themes and ter- ter- like. There's a twist of like who who's the lovable oaf and who's the clever guy and mm. and the, the the peg and frost relationship and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to talk about the Cornetto trilogy. We're actually going to talk about three other trilogies. We are indeed between yeah. the three of us. But I think that's a good example to kind mm. of another. If those people yeah. aren't familiar with that kind of thing, to introduce you to the concept. Oh, of definitely. Another, another very recent one is the Revisionist History trilogy, done by Quentin Tarantino. Oh yes, which yes, yes. is Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. Django Unchained, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where everything literally is very much a period piece in the past, and everything flows as it should visually, etc. Except for the fact that one of the main developments is like, well, this is schlocky nonsense and physically couldn't happen. <laughs> History says this never happened sort of thing. It's it's Pure fantasy. It, yeah, it's going back with an extremely pulpy sensibility and yeah. punishing the mm. people. Pulpy, Tim? Mm. <laughs> Some kind of pulpy fiction? fiction? Yes. Huh? Uh, and and sort of punishing history's greatest monsters in a way that they were never punished at the time. White people. Yeah. <laughs> And that's um, fair. Yeah, and I, they, I know that there's a theory that, and I think this this kind of came out when Inglorious Bastards had come out, that Tarantino's movies were all set in oh, that a cinematic universe. universe yeah, uh, yes, because yes. and because World War Two had ended in a much more violent way, uh, it influenced culture, and so you could end up with stuff like, um, you know. Uh, Beatrix Kiddo carrying a katana on an airplane mm, mm. Um, as a checked baggage and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I heard um, a link with uh, True Romance, which Tarantino didn't direct uh, mm. Tony Scott, but Tarantino wrote. Mm. And the character in there who's the movie director, or he produced, I'm not sure, I think it's the director. I think he's meant to be the son of one of the bastards, effectively, <laughs> oh, supposedly. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so he's yeah, got yeah. this huge career. And it's like, it's yeah. like oh, Interesting. There's lots of surname tie-ins. Yeah, which got, is typically Tarantino. You got the Vega brothers going between. Yeah. Uh, I still think that was one dogs of the, on that That's and... that's another trilogy. Uh, sorry, that's a thing for another day entirely. But our usual sequels we'd like to have seen a Vega brothers thing when Madsen and Travolta were at decent ages to do mm. the Vega brothers mm. would have been fantastic. I think now it's because mm. uh, obviously now it would be bad. It wouldn't work because of the fact that Vince Vega's dead. <laughs> I was going to um, say it would kind of have to be a de-age thing. Prequel or a prequel, 
That's always a thing. We mm. do not care for prequels, but they'll maybe, come up at some we point. Maybe will at some mm. point. Yeah, they'll come up at some point. So yes, there are different types of thematic trilogies. Usually helmed by a director because they, at the end of the day, as we said before, like Wes Anderson, for example, mm. very distinct filmmaker. Mm. People have got very close, very yeah. familiar, sort mm. of similar looking things, but not really the same as a mm. Wes Anderson film or even like a Michael Bay film or what the fuck mm. ever. And so you can create something. And it's, let's face it, it's the person that holds the, the camera or the pen that decides this, which again leads us to an interesting alternative. But we'll get to that when Tim's mm. thing comes around specifically. And another thing is that when it comes to thematic trilogies you know mm. you're not relying on a narrative through line to make the the films cohere together you're relying often on less tangible things and a lot of that can be the way the films look and the way that symbolism or imagery is reflected in different films and obviously that is the realm of the director yes you know and with a you know with something like the the cornetto trilogy you're not necessarily going to get a lot of you know, repeating motifs, but you go yeah, to something yeah. like, you know, the year, um, Three Colours trilogy and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that are a little bit on the artier spectrum. Yeah. And you're going to get those ideas of, you know, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to shoot this in a similar way so that it evokes mm-hmm. that previous film or, or, you know, that kind of thing, even though the narratives are actually quite separate. And obviously that is the realm of the director. That is something they have control over. So mm. it makes sense that for the most part, this is a director-driven type of yeah. you know project you do get directors inspiring other directors i think at the minute there's an interesting wave of i don't know how to describe them at the minute but um adam mckay doing big short for example <laughs> which he had to fight yeah. for quite hard to do he mm, said yeah. i'll do anchorman 2 fine yeah and, nobody could, and it was you know a bit of a flop mm. and a crappy sequel interesting <laughs> but it gave way to him to the big short which of course accolades are plenty did mm. really well and there is now a style with Bombshell and Vice and other similar bits and pieces mm. that are a, we're going to do a satirical story or a satirical bio, biographical sort of style mm. story on a period of time, politically driven or, or mm. economically driven or something like that in, in, in the most recent times, as it were, with a very heavy-hitting message from effectively comedy directors mm. in a different style. And, but, and often with breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're, those things are very interesting themes and nuances that go throughout, and etc. But equally, again, inspiring each other. I wouldn't necessarily call them like a trilogy or a set mm. or a thing, but it's, it's a style that evokes, that comes out. Horror is the best example. Mm. Horror steals from each other all the time. The thematic trilogy is the idea of, I want to say something, and usually it's circling around one theme or multiple aspects or mm. the different elements of a prism of ideas. Mm. So... Uh, one one central conceit from different perspectives, in theory. We, so what we've done, as as we always do, we've selected our own trilogy of films each. Mm, yes. Um. So a, a lot to get into. So Jack, when you had narrative trilogies, you brought us the uh, Apes <sighs> Strong. Oh! Yes. Yeah. Which was a great trilogy, great linear trilogy. What's your thematic trilogy? Something slightly different to the Apes. <laughs> Shit. I'm talking about your boy, John motherfucking Carpenter. Yeah, John Carpenter. <laughs> We're big fans on the show. Yeah, we are. We are. I am as well. In particular, I hadn't really thought about this being a trilogy until I kind of did the research. Yeah, yeah. And I thought like, oh, I wonder what thematic trilogy I hadn't really thought about. Because again, we talked about the obvious ones and then... Matt brought up some shit I'd never heard of, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the usual sequelizer stuff of yeah. Matt having unending movie knowledge. Yeah. Well, we'll listen and to I was end. like, there's a Carpenter trilogy. Really? I didn't know that. I was like, huh, 
Okay. It's uh, colloquially known as the Apocalypse Trilogy. Yes. And it is... It features one of my all-time favorite films, which kind of helps. Mm-hmm. Features another, I think, incredibly underrated film. Mm-hmm. And a film I hadn't really seen until fairly recently. Okay. And also kind of enjoyed, but is clearly the weakest of the three. I think I know which order he's going in. I you, think. you can probably guess. Yeah. I think I know which order. So, in chronological order, 1982's The Thing. Let's just, just be fucking clear. One of the greatest films ever made. In yeah. my top five ever I made I fucking films. love The Thing. I adore The Thing. Mm. Absolutely love The Thing. Five years later, 1987's The Prince of Darkness. Do you want a little bit of boring anecdotal history? Please Always. do. Please this do. was the first film that taught me how Schrodinger's cat worked. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, quite young, I was watching this. Like, it's it's, oh, it's got cat. loads of physics in it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And it had half the cast from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that always helps. Mm. And 1995's In the Mouth of Madness. I like that film a lot. Yeah, I like that film a lot. Yeah. So, The Thing is one of my all-time favourite films. Surprise, surprise. Oh, how what a controversial pick for me. Uh, I really, really love In the Mouth of Bandas. I only saw it reasonably recently because I got into a real big Lovecraftian kick after I played Bloodborne. Mm. So this is like four or five years ago when that game came out. And I just fucking dived headfirst and consumed all Lovecraftian media that I could. Yeah. John Carpenter did a Lovecraft sort of thing that's <laughs> yeah. not quite a Lovecraft thing, but is... That's not the thing, because that's kind of Lovecraftian as well. Yeah. Which is a theme for this trilogy. <laughs> and then Prince of Darkness, I'd kind of tangentially heard of and knew it existed and kind of vaguely knew what it was about, but hadn't realized it kind of tied in. And I went and watched that specifically for this episode and hadn't seen it until a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It's not great. It's, I think Prince of Darkness is clearly the weakest of the three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But... I really enjoyed it, and I like the the themes that it discusses in in terms of theology and stuff like that. And the reason they call the Apocalypse Trilogy, ladies and gentlemen, because they all deal with the end of the goddamn world in their own way. It's kind of got a cosmic horror kind of theme. Obviously, if you don't know about The Thing, why are you listening to a film podcast if you don't know about The Thing? But But also, go watch The Fucking Thing. Go watch The Fucking Thing. Thank us later. Make sure you watch the 1982 version (laughs) and not the 2011 version. Fucking prequels, man. Fucking prequels. So yeah, the thing, big nasty alien in an Arctic station mm. starts replicating humans, consuming humans, imitating humans, and kind of... And uh, the poor dogs. And the poor dogs. Yeah, that's quite crushing. Yeah, and the dogs. Amazing dog actors. <laughs> <laughs> the highlight of dog acting. Not gonna lie. That's why we love the thing. <laughs> then, because the, so that deals with aliens coming to Earth or being um, being dug up, I guess, mm. in the aliens, Earth. Yeah. Been there for... 10,000 years, <laughs> as, as Carol <laughs> quite sort of possibly just guesses and we assume is right. And then... He's Kurt Russell, he's probably yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, he can yeah. fly a helicopter. Fuck you. And then Prince of Darkness deals with sort of Satan, yes. but sort of not Satan yes. in a weird space goo. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's mm. a thing. A big <laughs> vat. A big vat of Satan goo. <laughs> it sounds terrible the way I'm describing it. It's actually better than I'm giving it credit for. Uh, and Donald Pleasance is amazing as oh, the yes. priest. Like his, so. his performance in that is fantastic. So that's dealing with like this weird, otherworldly, horrible, demonic destruction, and and very much heads in that direction. Mm-hmm. And then in the mouth of madness, is goes full Lovecraft, shall we say? It's not directly an adaptation of any particular Lovecraft story. It has very literal quotes in the prose that the writer Trent, the main character, is is writing. And again, central performance from Sam Neill, fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. And 
the end of the world, spoilers for a 25-year-old film, mm-hmm. literally happens at the end, mm. or does it? Oh, yes, it does, because <laughs> he, go- he goes mental. So he becomes the protagonist in the... Uh, the movie is in the movie. Yes. As a movie. <laughs> it's very surreal. And then Sam Neill's character, um, Trent, goes to see that film, and then the film starts playing in a cinema in the film, and he goes mental... And then it's the end of the world with like demon dogs and horrible death and destruction <laughs> and all the zombies and shit. Is it? Um, Have you read Sutter Game? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's mad. It's it's very it's it is a weird one. And again, it's the kind of thing I wish I'd seen in a cinema at some point because mm. I feel like there are certain films like, especially in the eighties, where I just assumed you were going to see this in a cinema screen in America, obviously, mm. and so it would cut to like the like Gremlins two, for example, with the you know, the, the the film bubbling and stuff and you cut to the, an audience like, oh, it's like they turn the camera around. It's like, no, because I'm in my fucking house in <laughs> 2020. Yeah. Yeah. I think the overall theme and the, and they escalate in a really nice way and I was, I was, again, doing some research, reading some articles, reading some analyses from various writers about this and starting with the thing, it talks about the, it kind of brings up the destruction of the self Yes, because you don't know who is real and who isn't are they an alien mimic? Are they a, a, a construct of this evil creature? Is it an evil creature? Uh, we yeah. don't know. This kind of unknowable horror is a pervading theme across all of them. We don't truly know what the Satan goo or what is going on with Trent's character in, in, in the Mouth of Madness. And then you go on to kind of the destruction of theology and God as we know it in terms of the Prince of Darkness, and that's clearly an escalation from the destruction of humanity as we (laughs) know it. And then in the Mouth of Madness is the destruction of sanity and reality as we know it. And to to the point where his life becomes a film in his life and he can't distinguish fiction from reality anymore and his life just breaks down and Mm -hmm. he has no idea what's going on. And all three of those link together and kind of bring the theme of the destruction of free will in three different ways. And thinking about it in that way, it really made me want to rewatch all three of them like in short succession. Mm. I haven't done that yet. I'd really, really like to and kind of sit down and do a, yeah. a big carpenter marathon. But it really made me appreciate them more in that sense. And I'd, like I said, I already like all three films, but it really made me think about how Carpenter manages to escalate from one to the other and mm. really build on themes... I don't know if it was a conscious decision at the time. Uh, In interviews since then, he's mm. kind of hinted that he just likes to think about that kind of thing. And it wasn't necessarily a conscious escalation, but it was a conscious decision to have it be a thematic trilogy in that sense. So, I think there is a, a Guillermo del Toro quote, which is... Um, I don't remember this film's question. Somebody, oh, somebody said, um, I really like Pan's Labyrinth. Didn't like um, Pacific Rim, stuff like that. And he went, fuck you, I've made one movie. <laughs> um, and the implication is directors obviously are expressing parts of their personality, especially if they have that much control in a film. And the implication is you will just see different sides of them. In the same way that George Miller does Mad Max, dystopian, oh my God, the world is fucked. Happy and, feet. And happy feet, exactly. It's like there are, there are multiple sides to your personality that you can show off different sides of who you are. In the same way that a writer can hopefully write comedy and drama. Mm. Uh, Shakespeare, for example. Comedy, drama, history mm. is, is, the, is the idea in theory. Or tragedy, comedy, history, I believe. But the point is that they're all the same story. They're all the same theme. So you will inadvertently circle back to tropes. 
and familiarities. Like, even if you want to be like, there are things you can see with obviously like Kubrick and corridors, that kind of shit. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, there's kind of yeah. the way I think Carpenter obviously shoots those three films in very different ways. Yes. And yeah. as I mentioned, he's not even necessarily the writer for the three of them. He wrote Prince of Darkness under a pseudonym mm. because of course he did. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's his vision, as you said, about the, the driving force being the director. But I, looking, I specifically was like looking at different clips and stuff like that. Like I said, I haven't sat down and watched all three straight back to back, but sure. having seen all three and knowing two of them pretty well by now and watching one recently... I couldn't pick up on any specific obvious like, oh, the corridor thing, trope or anything like that. That that is a thematic kind of through line there. But you really, really kind of get the impression that Carpenter is doing something less kind of, less directly visual, I guess. And it's more about the characters. And like I said, they're they're so driven by their, I think those three films are so driven by their central performances as well. Mm. Kurt Russell being an absolutely iconic all-time great performance Russell. Exactly. <laughs> and and I love that each one of them leaves you thinking, which mm. is I'm the guy that loves the uh, intellectual sci-fi stuff. <laughs> I'm I'm an Alex Garland fanboy and all that kind of stuff, so yeah. Yeah. you know, watch Annihilation and go, "What is real? I don't know anymore." <laughs> I like doing that kind of thing and and being able to then go and talk to you guys and and you know, yeah. people at work or whatever it is and be like have you seen this thing? Because I don't know how I feel about it and now I don't know what's real and what's not. <laughs> and not in a inception, oh, did the thing stop spinning? Like, yes, shut up, yes. there's an answer. But <laughs> like, there's moments in the, the ending of the thing. Again, spoilers for a 38-year-old movie <laughs> for like, who's the thing at the end? We don't know. Is mm. he tricking him and, and making him drink the gasoline? So he... Yeah, because the answer isn't important. It's the conversation you're having about exactly. it. Really, so. Exactly, yeah. Mm. That that questioning of you as a viewer understanding what the fuck is going on and then thinking about, do the characters know what's going on? Mm. Do any of the characters know what's going on? Mm. It And as tropey as In the Mouth of Madness is, I mean, it's the fucking... Oh, we'll start with the guy in the asylum and work back. The <laughs> lead character's gone insane. Hello, a Lovecraft protagonist. Yes. <laughs> he happens to be writing a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, let's mush up Stephen King and Lovecraft. Yes. There you go. He's a writer gone insane. What what a <laughs> original concept for a horror movie. But then you're left at the end, and then he breaks out of <laughs> the asylum because the world is actually ending. And you're like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> yeah. And I almost had the similar kind of thing as, again, spoilers for a 10-year-old film in Cabin in the Woods. Ah. Where like, the ending, you're like, what the fuck is going on there? Yeah. I try not to spoil it. Um, but I really love it where you're left thinking and, and questioning, like, how, why, what, how, why, In where? a very pretentious, wanky thing to say. Oh, here we go. Hello. This, this is why we've got you on the show, Matthew. <laughs> I believe it is based on the maturity of an audience as they grow with cinema. Oh. Uh, so basically, the idea is when you are I mean, Tim. Tim has always given us the perfect thing about this when his critical mind comes on board oh, at yes, a certain age. Exactly. Like, yes, yes, yes. I get it now, and now I realise that I'm not just going to. And, and again, Tim's exact quote at the time, I believe, was, "I saw the film, I ate the popcorn, therefore I had a good time." Yeah. Um, and it's and you know, I, I I got to the end of it, therefore it was good. And then you get to a certain film, whatever age you are, you go, "I didn't like that." 
hmm, was I supposed to enjoy that? Yeah. And, it's not, and it's like, I should like it because everything about it was something I'd enjoy. But mm-hmm. anyway, so the, the narrative trilogy is the easiest to understand for the audience. And that's why we did it first. Mm-hmm. A story starts here and has a bit of an open ending. Oh, then it carries on. Oh, and then it finishes. It's oh, classic three act structure. Entirely. You know, it's so built mm-hmm. into our con like almost like biologically and psychologically built yeah. into our mm-hmm. concept of storytelling at this point. Exactly. Uh, oh, well, until we get to back one to later we'll come out to that. <laughs> but you're right, the three act structure is a very important key thing and it's been such around for a, for a long time. It's how we're taught stories basically. Yeah. Beginning, middle, end. But once you start absorbing films more, and at this point, people separate. And they almost like bisect into people who are like, oh, I went to the films and I saw the films and I saw it. It was nice. And I had a good time at the cinema. And I left. And it's fine. And I didn't mind it. Whatever. And they won't challenge themselves to see more interesting films. Which is fine. There's you nothing do, wrong do, with yeah. that. Yeah. No people problem. do that same with books, you know, uh, music, whatever you like. You like what you like. That's mm. fine. Yep. But some people will dig down and go, no, 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 no. I, I really... This made me, th- as you say, that's ma- this made me think, and I want to find out similar-minded individuals. That's where we get to thematic trilogies, because, like with the Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy, some people a might not even know it's the same director if you show the three films back to back. Well, like I said, I I knew about them and didn't know they were a thematic trilogy. Exactly. I it's, knew. I even knew yeah. they were three Carpenter movies mm-hmm. in that order, and I'd seen two of them mm-hmm. and knew the third one existed. Yeah. And I never thought like, oh, there's a third one to this quote-unquote trilogy. I'm missing the middle segment of this trilogy. Yeah didn't even occur to me until I was doing research for this no, episode. Precisely. And I think this comes down to the audience. Because some okay, there is an escalation of why someone goes to see a film. People go to see a film because they like the actor in it. That's why we have all the faces on the poster. Then you get to a certain level of film potentially. Oh, I like this director. Then you go to another level of, I like the writer slash score produced by <laughs> and or cinematographer. Yes, cinematographer. Then, then you're like, oh, now you know you're going to like a deep I like, level. I like yeah. the DP. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know anything about this if film, but If your Deacon's former sequelizer, Tom Martin. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's Deacon's. Very oh. much so. Yeah. Um, but then you start talking about things like, again, I'm not, I'm not talking about an age or a maturity thing saying, oh, you have to like 18 to get this. It's just when you get to a certain point of watching so many films and you see start seeing behind the curtain. Mm. And when it comes to like the thematic trilogies, it's the things like th- things you wouldn't have thought to piece together or most people wouldn't think to because they just watch the story. Mm. And that's kind of the thing you go for initially. When you start saying, oh, they all have a link. And when you realize that you've seen that link or you've seen that coding, as it were, you feel a bit, for lack of a better word, very arrogant superiority of like, oh, I get it. I'm part of the group. I see what you're trying to do here. I, yeah, and you I have to, sorry, you have to actively engage with the films yes. in order to kind of piece together the trilogy um and that's always it, it, you can't just kind of let them wash over you mm. um and experience them as a trilogy you can still experience them as three films in a row um but to 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 get the connections you have to you have to meet the films halfway yeah they can have like similar elements like oh but it, it, and again this is the thing you end up with things like color palettes you end up things with um notions of ideas mm. of uh how do we deal with certain feelings and they're like what or again in the let's just stay with the apocalypse trilogy for a second dealing with things like the destruction of a, a you know an insert thing here and it's like yeah. you wouldn't think it just going into the story of oh it's certain a base and like a, like a, a, um, a research facility in the arctic and an alien gets there and oh it's all shapeshifter it's like, oh, but if you um, a broader picture, yeah, yeah, you you even literally have the and and again, like the more I, I love that the I think this trilogy works so well as an introduction to this concept because 
the more you think about it, and then the way I was thinking about it, and then I, like I said, went and did the research. I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing as well. Because mm. I, I initially went straight to the kind of like, oh, it's the end of the world. True. That's the base mm-hmm. level thing. Is in each of these films, this is this is you know heading towards the destruction of humanity as we know it, kind of thing. Mm. And then you delve into, oh, this one is the destruction of this, this is the destruction of that, and they escalate in that way, and they also escalate in terms of setting as well. So mm. it's like, here's an Arctic base. Here's the town of Hobbs End. Here's the world. Mm. This, this is reality as we know it, and this we are fucking done. Yeah, like they escalate in that, like, and they still feel contained and claustrophobic in that way, mm. but build upon each other without even you know necessarily doing literal nods and recurring characters and all that kind of stuff. It's not like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost showing up again across the three films. It's not sure. like. Kurt Russell plays three different characters across them. It's completely different actors, completely different casts, yep, yep. completely different whatever. Like, but it works so well in that it does escalate in that way and makes you consider if you know going into it, it really makes you watch carefully and pay attention. Yes. And as you said, if you're if you're one of those people that is really into analyzing a film and being aware mm. and being conscious as you're watching and being like an active film watcher and, and a critic then that's a brilliant way to watch those three and kind of understand how it's building on top of each other and how they're building that trilogy in front of you, basically. It's, it's a good way to get into also like a writer or a director's head because mm. how they perceive things. Yeah. If you want to deal with a larger theme, bang, that's how they... Turn. And then you think, I wouldn't have dealt with it. Or, or, or alternative, it's that whole, like, I've been seen, like, or, or I feel seen, like, yes. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what you're referring to, that kind of thing. Mm. Just to go back to right for a second, if I may, if I if I may, mm. this is the problem I have with the world's end as well, and why I'm on the very much on the sense of like mm, don't like it, is because the thematic trilogy again is things that should be not necessarily should be, but are often buried, and they're mm. a bit subtle or they're a difference, and there's something that's new each one, and unlike the linear trilogy, it's a standalone. You can mm. watch just one of those films. Now that's true of Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy. Mm. Um, that's they're all standalone and I still I still very much like the first two the problem is with him specifically is that his running themes weren't just the themes in general which is ultimately just parody of genre so I've got the zombie horror contained genre and you've got the action genre and then you get to the third one and you don't really know what the genre is is it like is it sci-fi kind of body invasion you're like well yeah I mean I'd argue that there's in terms of theme and stuff that carries through the th- mm. those three films you've got stuff about kind of masculinity and maturity That's because fair. it's always yeah. it's always centered around that friendship between Peg and Frost in their different incarnations yeah. um and how that you know they they kind of grow up across the course of the mm. films uh, to a certain extent and and literally as well yeah, yeah. um <laughs> and you can see kind of different modes of male friendship expressed and it flips them as well they're not playing yeah. the same one each time and i agree yeah, with yeah. you that's a really good example mm. and again the perfect example for the thematic trilogy mm. or thematic films i should say uh, as an overrunning theme the problem is for me personally is that he also ties in quotes visual cues mm. And characters. There are, there are lots of in jokes and references to the other yeah. two that directly. Yeah. Like watching all three, in, in, not in the same way as the Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy, but if you've seen the first two 
the world's end makes a lot more sense. Yes. You know that oh they've done they've done the swap again and you see that mm-hmm. Frost is the straight guy now and he doesn't drink. Isn't that funny? Because mm. in Shaun of the Dead, he was necking down pints and mm. going to the Winchester and la 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 yeah. la la. And you get that kind of yeah, it kind of only works if you know the references from mm. the previous films. And also through repeating a lot of his tricks by the time you get to the third film, they are less interesting. And this less... is, yeah, very much my problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's also very predictable because when you realise the formula, which is in the first five minutes, he will tell you the entire story and it'll whip through mm. and it describes how it goes. And then by the end of it, you see that sort of drawn out. Mm. And again, you get to the third film and you know where it's going and there's nothing new mm-hmm. and you know where the jokes are and you I mean even like the, the Cornetto thing it's like you get to the end of the film you're like we haven't seen the mint Cornetto yet mm. and this rapper just appears and buggers off and you're like oh and it's the tick mm. exercise that makes it disappointing which is why I'm not, I'm not personally a fan of Baby Driver too much but it felt at least different because mm. it was doing the same sort of thing but cut loose from that um, uh, that direct requirement of yeah, certain that, things yeah that that in particular, the actual Cornetto feels really disappointing in those in that film because mm. in the other two, the Cornetto has a function in the story. Yes. Um, like in the first one, it's this kind of expression of how like normality is carrying on, even though there's a zombie apocalypse. Because yeah. it's like, well, what are, you know, we're still hungover. I'm going to go get a Cornetto. Mm. And in the second one, it's this expression of like, okay, Peg's character's kind of given up now because he he's. He's not taking his police work seriously. He's binging ice cream on the job. He's having an yeah. ice cream on the job. And then in the third one, it's just like, oh, yeah, here's an ice cream wrapper. Yeah, it's like, things used to be a certain way. I miss certain things. And also, because the problem as well with the habit of being science fiction is when at the end of it, it's like, oh, by the way, there's actually going to be about King Arthur and his knights. And you're like, no. No. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that either. No. And they're all terrible female characters. But we'll go to that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so thematic trilogy is a thing you evolve to, in my opinion, yeah, as a and, film Yeah, and fan. I think to, to compare... Carpenter to write in a weird yes, way. Yes. I feel like, as you mentioned, Matt, the Cornetto trilogy doesn't necessarily reward watching all three in a row. In yeah. that you would probably burn out and be like, oh, okay, it's a it's a peg and a frost, and uh, there's a Cornetto, and it's this that's the same joke again, and it's kind of like oh, no, jumping over a, a fence. Oh, he jumped over a fence. This yeah. time he really jumped over a fence. This time <laughs> he fell straight through the fence. Oh, okay. That's the same joke three times. It, Whereas the Carpenter trilogy, mm. I, I now, even though I've seen all three and have done a bunch of reading about it, mm-hmm. now want to sit down and watch all three straight mm. together and mm. really kind of sink my teeth into it and, and, mm. and absorb them in a different way. And I feel like that would be really rewarding. And you would see yeah. more, maybe not direct references, but really kind of get the idea of the themes more directly in that way and... Mm. and yeah, and enjoy the. And they're easier more. to watch because they have a similar flow, and they have a similar message at the end of the day. Mm. You not entirely, but yeah. To stick with an analogy very briefly, I think if we take music for example, the Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy feels like a concept album, where you have tracks that obviously bleed in, or just any album. To be fair, you can feel that there's a flow and a sound because that's where the the musician's head is at that point in time. Whereas with the Right trilogy, I feel like it's a song. And then listening to two covers of the exact same song, they can be slightly different. They can be variations on them. Mm. Be like, oh, this has got a sitar rather than a rather than a keyboard. Mm. Very interesting. It's like, yeah, but it's still the same song, mm. and it you can get a lot out of it. But if you listen to three back to back, you don't get the same. I would n- I would never want to listen to 
a, an original song and then two remixes of that song back to back. That's how I felt about the classic. Really. Like, exactly, yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like that would just be like, I know where this is going. Oh, there's a little twist. Oh, we're back to the chorus again. Okay, it's that chorus. I remember that chorus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, when you see the first two times, you go, oh, that's an interesting difference. Mm. The third time, you're like, you're doing not enough new. And when yeah, they do yeah. start doing new things, it's like, oh, this is cool, but it's never enough of it. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I can remember buying a single in the uh, late 90s where it had uh, the, the the main track, the mm-hmm. A track, yeah. and then seven remixes. Fucking oh. hell. <laughs> I, don't, I don't miss those days. <laughs> that sounds like a Nine Inch Nails thing. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mr. Stogden, yep. over to you for your thematic trilogy, please. So my trilogy is sort of slap bang in the middle here, because I noticed that we actually have ours in time periods. So Jack's trilogy takes place in the 80s and 90s. My trilogy takes place in the early 2000s, and Tim's takes place in a different time. But <laughs> they're not the same thing. So I like there's a lot of different the 1600s. Eras. Whoa, now you're talking. Shadow Puppetry has brought to you by Tim Uh So I'm going with Park Chan-wook's Vengeance Trilogy, which I think it's one of those things that will again divide the audience. Those who go, oh shit, yes. And those who go, the one now? So South Korean director Park Chan-wook, who... You and your bloody South Koreans. <laughs> hey, love me South Koreans. You really do, don't you? I really do. I have nothing else to say. I fucking do. Full stop. Yeah. He uh, came to prominence in the West, largely, I believe, because of Old Boy. Absolutely. It was a was huge success. I'm trying to think. I don't know. We talked about, like, oh, what was the first Japanese film I saw? And I, we were talking about Battle Royale. I think that was my mm. first. My, oh, I'm consciously watching something in Japanese. Yes. I think Old Boy was the first Korean movie I ever saw. I think that's probably true of a lot of people. I, I assume yeah. that's quite common, especially for people of our age, kind of yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. You know, it came out in the early, what, 2003? 2003, early 2000s. Yeah. So I saw it after that because I was 13 in 2003. <laughs> I did not watch All Boy when I was 13 because I would be traumatised even more so than I already was. Yeah. But yeah, that was definitely my introduction to South Korean cinema. And I think a lot of people share that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, unless they're born recently, in which case, Parasite maybe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. That's yeah. going to be the what about a phrase. The, yeah. The, the old boy of the 2020s, 2010s. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. The, this um, era. Yeah, again... South Korean cinema, man. It's awesome. It's like two of my favorite films as well. I think like they're two yeah, they're amazing, amazing astonishing films. Yeah. Uh, there is a there is a link between Bong Joon Ho and uh, Park Chan Wook because they uh, they were producer. South Korean. Sorry, there are two links. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, he's actors producer on like uh, Park Chan Wook has been producer on Snowpiercer. I want to mm-hmm. say it's one yep. So yes, his trilogy, which I'm going to read you some facts. That I think are bullshit. Oh, okay, and by facts <laughs> I mean one fact. <laughs> Um, so Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is the first one and it's very obviously titled Vengeance I must confess I don't remember the Korean title it came out in 2002 it's uh, Song Kang-ho and uh, it's the story of actually classically they're all the story of social divide in South Korea due to the rise of capitalism and democracy because obviously yes (laughs) Parasite yeah, mm-hmm. and they, like most South Korean yeah. films, um, they're dealing with the issues it's of the time. Funny that a country that's literally divided by a terrible class war and dictatorship is mm. producing films that discuss class <laughs> wars and, and problems in the, yeah, Precisely. the economic problems. So yeah, that kind of makes sense. So all three of them deal with effectively, in some form, imprisonment um, and or kidnapping, both. And the idea of manipulation, etc., 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 there are so many horrible, haunting things. 
And I mean truly haunting oh, and violent, disgusting horror. Oh boy, is one of the most traumatizing watching. Like, yeah, I think like that and Twelve Years a Slave, the two mm. films. I'm like, I don't think I ever want to see that again. But that was fucking amazing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what I mean. Yeah. It's like Gaspar Noé, Clint, um, mm. Darren Aronofsky kind of thing. Like, oh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So Song Kang Ho plays a well-off individual. And uh, Shin ha plays a not-so-well-off individual. And both of them are perfectly... And this is the, this is the beautiful thing about the, the characters in these things. Careful with your bank. Yeah. This is the beautiful thing about these characters in these things. Sorry, i got to go. This is the beautiful thing about these characters is that none of them are really that bad. They do terrible things, obviously, but they're effectively doing it for the, the standard reason of trying to help their significant others and stuff Shin Hakun's character his sister requires a kidney transplant if I remember correctly and of course he can't afford it so he decides to kidnap a wealthy guy's daughter and the kid's like just being kept in the house with um, him and uh, Baiduna and it just seems like a nice basically a party effectively mm. but it goes so dark and so quickly so wrong and, I mean, and by wrong, I mean everything gets fucked up. The plan does not happen because, of course, it would never happen that way. There are some haunting fucking visuals. And the futility of vengeance, the idea that you physically feel human need, a human, human compulsion for vengeance, and, like, I'm going to smash you to pieces, I'm going to shout to the world, I'm going to have you arrested, doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't fix anything. You have to get, you have to be a Vulcan style, get past that shit. But it's so, <laughs> so hard. And on the faces of the characters, it's like they're so torn. But I mean, uh, the, the character mentioned, um, Shin Ho King's character, he's deaf. And that's a key point right, in the story okay. um, because he, the, the, one of these terrible things that happens, happens behind him while he's busy. And he doesn't know what's happening mm, and can't intervene. Right. Oh. right. It's, 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 Tragic but brilliant, and I can't want to see it too much. Now, I think it's a really solid film. It's really interesting, and it's really well made, and it's shot beautifully, and the use of colour is fucking fantastic. Um, and just very, very interesting. And it would seem, for some reason, Rotten Tomatoes disagrees, because they've at 54%. Mm. And that is bullshit. Mm. It is not. It's I, I, it's high 70s for me, maybe an 80s. I, I think it's a very, very solid film. And the way that all the violence is quite brutal... All the violence on women is shown off screen or separately and cuts back to it, which makes it seem somehow more brutal. It's crazy. So then a year later, Old Boy comes out. Old Boy is an 82% rating. And again, bullshit. It should be <laughs> at least 10 points higher one, than that. One of my absolute favorite films. Absolutely astonishing. Like said, absolutely haunting, harrowing, horrible fucking movie mm. that yep. just stuck with me and... And the yeah. thing is, you don't want to tell anyone about it because you end up obviously. Obviously, we won't spoil it. I've recommended Old Boy to so many people. Yeah. And like, I apologise in advance. <laughs> I will tell you nothing, and we will have a very interesting conversation next week. <laughs> yes, and that's that's the best gift you can give someone. That they go, "Oh my god, I can't believe it." Again, we did with, with Parasite, which is mm. like, I can't believe it. Weird, and it's it's so weird. That I know we're talking about South Korean filmmakers. Mm. It feel like we're just being like, "Yeah, all South Korean cinema is basically the same thing." We don't mean to boil it down like that. No, but Parasite not applies in such a similar way. I'm like, mm. go in blind, don't know anything, mm. and you will benefit from that. And you, it, you know, my, my, my year, our year breakdown, I put my Handmaiden. I was about to say, in my yearbook. In my year. <laughs> um, no, uh, remember you mentioned The Handmaiden. Mm. Have you guys seen The Handmaiden yet? No, no. not yet. Go and watch The Handmaiden, guys, <laughs> so we can have a conversation about it. Because, <laughs> oh, God damn, that's a good. So the simple overview of Old Boy is a man 
who is a bit of a bit of a dick, played by Josh Brolin, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that fucking movie. <laughs> so it may, maybe the most egregious offensive. Spike Lee decided to remake that movie. Remake I've ever seen in my entire so life. Stu- and the thing is, it's not that it's like badly done. It's, it's just pointless. just soulless, pointless bollocks that yeah. just doesn't capture anything from the original. Not really. And just it's just. Brolin's a weird it. choice for it. Elizabeth Olsen's a weird choice I, for I it. I thought Brolin's re- he's a reasonable choice. Oh, it's reasonable, but he's, like, he's, he's a weird he's, choice. He doesn't strike me as that kind of... Anyway, yeah. we're not talking about that fucking piece of shit. We're definitely not. So, uh, Cho Min-sik has a character who is... Or is a character who is kidnapped in prison for 15 years. Never told why. Beautiful. I love. It's I love, so frustrating. It's so and cool. the audience doesn't know either. And then, for some reason, also never told why, he's released. <laughs> <laughs> and Korea is, or South Korea is, again, quite different over that period. Tell me something like, maybe like um, mid-80s to early 2000s sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's a big jump, isn't And it? it's like, the, I mean, if any society is that huge, huge leap. And so he sort of tries to trace all the information and things. And then finally there's a reveal of what it is. And it's so simple and so arguably innocuous, but also so terrifying. And the the fallout of the vengeance, and, and the orchestrated vengeance um, th- there is a, th- a theory that sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is why people commit revenge or want revenge, mm-hmm. I should say. And old boys, who? Who is committing revenge oh, against interesting. you? Interesting. Okay, yeah. You know, and, and, and who, who are you committing revenge upon? And who did you hurt, etc., etc.? Not why did you do it? Because mm-hmm. that's almost, in a way, inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Who did you piss off? And he's obviously looking for that the whole time. Mm. There's also, again, beautiful colour things. The, the colour purple comes up so much in it. Uh, sorry, not the film, obviously, the actual colour purple. <laughs> the Alice um, Walker novel. Yeah. The, the, the colour specifically because of an event that happens at the end of the movie. And you're like, oh, wearing purple. Oh, God. Oh, God. Now it can be... Filmmaking, people. Yeah. <laughs> Filmmaking. And again, the nature of visiting vengeance upon someone else thinking, oh, you think the imprisonment was vengeance? No, this is my vengeance. And it's yeah, brutal and crushing. Then we have Lady Vengeance. Two years later, in 2005. 76%. I think that's that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very different film. Uh, so Lee Young-A and again, Choi Min-sik coming back again. Very different film. It's a woman in prison and she gets out of prison. And But she's in there. Sounds b- like old boy so far, am I yeah. right? <laughs> but she's in prison specifically because she confessed to a crime of killing a kid. Um... And then you learn why she's done this stuff and it's to things. And the interesting thing about this one is that unlike the the why of revenge and the who of revenge, this is the almost, uh, it's not even a question, it's the nature of removing revenge. It's redemption effectively. Mm, yeah. And it's a very strange one because of that because she gets out of prison and she's been the model, you know, an absolutely model... Um, uh, inmate as it were and she's done everything she can to get out and then she's on the other side she's like you can go fuck yourself and she tries to find out anyone who's involved and kill them with this ridiculous gun so silly but it's very cool the very cool design she goes off and she becomes like this, this this embodiment of revenge effectively and then when she finds out all the reasons behind everything that's happened and she's got all the details fully through and through and she's been betrayed etc etc and she unites with other people who are in a similar position and they all take their uh, place in a unified response of vengeance. But it's a bonding experience. And it's a very weird thing. So it's almost like the idea of we're still having revenge on this person. It, does, it doesn't help any of us. 
but we're all going to do it together. The, the therapy and bonding of, of revenge. It's a very strange one to describe. And that's why it's probably, in my opinion, a little bit weaker. Oh, interesting. Because it is so all over the place. And you don't know if it's where it's told and bounced around quite a lot. But it's still beautifully done mm. and really well done. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, like I said, I've seen Old Boy mm. and Lady Vengeance. I've not seen Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. It's the most straightforward of them. Yeah, interesting. I, d- I do want to do definitely want to check I it out. I recommend it. I really and do. going into having already seen Old Boy and then seeing this, and uh, interesting you touched on the theme of redemption there, Matt, mm. because that's such a thing I think is ingrained in us as Western audiences. It's yeah. like you go on a revenge thing and usually it's a journey of redemption for the main character. And mm. at the end, they'll draw their sword or point their gun at the bad guy and then like unload the bullets and put it down and be like, I don't need to take my vengeance. This is my vengeance and walk off into the sunset. Oh. And now I'm redeemed and my hands are clean mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Not in old boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. This isn't your fucking yeah. happy-go-lucky redemption story. Yeah. Or even like stuff like Tarantino where you do get big yes. violence kind of stuff. You still get the impression like, you mentioned Beatrix Kiddo earlier. You mentioned the bride. Like, she's a vengeful character that is been imprisoned, have been killed, and all this kind of shit, mm-hmm. and buried alive. And it's this story of vengeance, and you get her being this kind of like heroic character in some places, and then really not in other places. But it's told in such a different way. And there's a there's a sense of kind of catharsis. To the absolutely, catharsis from. is the right word for and, it. Tim, yeah. And yeah, in Old Boy, you. There's none of that. No. As much as there are moments feels, where, you're like, horrible. <laughs> where you're like impressed at the staging, none of it is really glorifying the violence. Yeah, that's the key word as well yeah. because glorification and reward because ultimately we are taught in the West, uh, uh, through cinema at least, that if you want revenge, it's the right thing to do and you will get it and we as an audience will be rewarded with a happy ending. Mm. You can obviously have examples of this, especially with like Hollywood inverted commas or Western cinema, usually independent cinema, where the revenge doesn't really feel like it's rewarded in in, in the way the audience expects. And again, I've had conversations from people who get people who are unhappy with it. So, for example, Law Abiding Citizen with mm. Jared Butler and Jamie Foxx and stuff, but also more importantly, recently. Um, Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Oh yeah, yeah. which again, um, hopefully not spoiling this, has a bit of an open ending. You're like, oh. And some people were just not happy with it. They wanted to see something. I wanted to, the satisfaction of someone getting shot in the face. And you're like, but you don't know. And the thing is, it changes nothing. Yeah, yeah. And we mentioned Josh Brolin as well. Take No Country for Old Men. Yes. That's a revenge mm. story. And you just have this like force of nature, Anton Sugar, just walking through these like mm. rooms and towns and buildings and just killing loads of people. Don't know why, don't know what's going on. Like it mm. slowly builds little different pieces through Tommy Lee Jones' character and Brolin's character and a mm. few other bits and pieces, but and then like characters just die off screen and you don't get the like is that supposed to be a good thing or bad thing? Is satisfying? Who's yeah. good? Who's mm. bad? What's happening? And again, the open ending and all this kind of stuff. Like there has definitely been a kind of Obviously, it's cliche to I think to be the do the redemption story and have it be the like and you're the hero and you slayed the guy who d- did you wrong who yes. you killed my father and now I kill you or whatever the fuck it is like the it's typical called the rise of Skywalker. There you go, <laughs> exactly the classic good versus evil Star Wars. It's for kids kind of sure. stuff. Mm. Thankfully, as as storytellers and as filmmakers, I feel a lot of people kind of evolved past that and. Mm. Yeah, there's no satisfaction in that, and I like that. I find that interesting. In a similar way to the Carpenter trilogy I mentioned, 
you are left questioning stuff. You are mm. left wondering what the fuck happens next. What's what? Where do we go from here? Mm. And do maybe you do get the moment like you're left with the gun pointing at the the bad guy, and then the film ends, and then you're like, do they pull the trigger? Mm. Do you see that finger quivering on the trigger, and then they drop the gun, and they can't do it, and it is yeah. the positive end. Want a better phrase? Do you use a video game term, the good ending, <laughs> uh, yeah. or the bad ending? Did you know Paragon or Renegade kind of thing? But I find that. Much mm. more interesting and much more, much more interesting to discuss as well. In general, yes. much more interesting to watch and more interesting to discuss in terms of us as a podcast and with my friends and all mm. this kind of stuff. To have that kind of open ending and have a vengeance story because it is such a trope in so many ways. Mm. To have it do something different that I always found so interesting. Yeah, I have a, a question for Matt as as the most uh, Korean of the three of us. <laughs> well, as the most schooled in foreign film, uh, that's more well, accurate. Uh, <laughs> yes. No, Film not in an English language. Yes. Um, international film, please, International Tim. film. There we go. Um, <laughs> yes, Tim. Do you think that there are different approaches to thematic trilogies that you can see in terms of like how it's done in the West versus in the East or yeah, in, entirely, in different yeah. film industries? Yeah, yeah. Strange enough, we're, okay, so, so South Korea for a second. Even with like a Kim Ji Woon film where you got like the good, the bad, and the weird, and it's a really fun, silly action romp, etc., etc., there's always a sense of just above the fucking border is North Korea, and your country is split. And in the same way, Germany and Russia mm. and France and other countries. And the have- War of the Roses, thank you very much. Back, <laughs> back in the good old days. But that's what I'm trying to say. The, the idea that a country is defined by its culture and its history and its so mm. and so forth, but that obviously influences its filmmaking. Um, and subsequently, that's why, you know, there are distinct things. That's why mm. we can say we love South Korean, or I love South Korean filmmaking at the minute, because I think there is, as Jack said, that it's not as black and white Hollywood happy ending, even though, let's face it, that that is a bit of a misnomer because American films don't always have that. Yeah. Misnomer. <laughs> um, but I think it comes. it depends on your own background so in other words if you're if you if you're some white collar guy from maryland in the north of northeast of america mm. and you've never experienced the rest of your own country let alone other countries your stories are always gonna be quite straightforward mm. they're gonna be fairly vanilla mm. for like a better word um but if you're in a place where you're like where do you live where are you from okay so i'm on the border between texas and mexico and we've got a lot of conflict and frustration over time a lot of tension either side you're going to get a lot of different atmospheres in a different environment if you're somebody who's living in a place in say brazil where you've got such a huge diverse range of cultures and and again a massive parity between rich and poor and life of crime stuff mm-hmm. like that uh with a film like say city of god for example massively underrated film mm-hmm. oh, well, that's very critical acclaim at the time mm-hmm. 2002 i want to say but you will see influences that really expand on that and really tap into the culture very quickly um in in the same way that if you do a war film um it depends on where within the war you're doing the film and who is the person in charge of it Mm. so for example a vietnam film we always associate vietnam films now with things like platoon and 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 apocalypse now by americans who've been through it but at the time the green berets the only real hollywood film that was made during the time Mm. with john wayne yeah fucking (laughs) awful and again, it's the it's the, the perception of what you're seeing at the time. So, for example, just to sort of go back to a question, I think it it very much is influenced by the the country you're from. So, mm. if you take the Three Colors trilogy, for example, mm. uh, blue, white, and red, obviously, very much influenced by a lot of 
a lot of Polish things as well, but a lot of French culture and such. Mm. And it has that real... Distinctly tied to, you know, it's a, the, the colours are the French flag. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's, it really is a statement. I think that's very much prepared from the start. I don't know mm. if it was... This, I don't know, actually. I think I think would investigate that, but I don't know if it was a thing that they'd effectively uh, slowly eked out over time or if it was something like, no, 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 we were going to tell a big epic Lord of the Rings-style story about... But obviously, with Binoche being this, a character throughout, mm. but different different stories, etc. Um, yeah, so I, I do think it really is uh, an influence of a product of surrounding and mm. environment and nature and nurture kind of thing, situation. Mm. As, as strange as that might sound. Might sound. No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, but yeah, and, and, and the influence of the culture around you. So speaking of, again, influence of culture, I even mentioned mm. like like, you know, the we mentioned no country for old men mentioned the sort of texas mindset tim mm. where are you going to take us i'm uh i'm taking us to the frontier mm. oh okay and i'm also breaking the rule Wait. because how dare you tim? i know um the job. trilogy that i'm tackling is not the work of a single director what mm. i thought that was the rule <laughs> we discussed this I Could spit we? on your rules. Good I am boy. an anarchist. That's Good. how filmmaking should be. Fuck yeah. Um, Stick it to the man, etc. Mm. Uh, because I have gone for a trilogy that is the work of a screenwriter mm-hmm. rather than a director, although he does direct one of the films in mm. question. Yes, yes. Uh, and that is Taylor Sheridan's uh, trilogy, which I've seen it variously described as the new American <laughs> frontier, the American frontier, the new frontier, the something... The final frontier? I, I like the frontier personally. Uh, yeah, yeah, a trilogy with the word frontier in there, um, which is made up of uh, Cesario, Hell or High Water, and Wind River, mm-hmm. um, which, as we mentioned, came out all pretty recently, actually. Yes. Yours um, is the most modern of the trilogies, and also didn't know this was a trilogy either yeah. I, again i've only seen yeah. one i've only seen sicario the, the first of the three mm. and yeah didn't know the other two were considered as a part of a trilogy until yeah it showed up on our show notes from tim and i was like oh okay interesting <laughs> well it's it's a very interesting one because obviously unique well not uniquely but it's it's a rare thing where it's a, a screenwriter mm. it's also odd because cesario has a sequel it does. Um, and yet that is that is not considered he he has uh, Taylor Sheridan has basically said like no they they kind of it's almost like branching paths like you can go Cesario and then follow it with the the narrative sequel to it mm. or you can follow this trilogy which doesn't include that which i frankly love the concept that's so interesting that's yeah. so cool yeah. it's like here's yeah. the character story continuing in a linear fashion choose your own adventure shit or man. do you want to see where the, the themes are going and that's, yeah. that's fucking brilliant so the first is uh, Cesario which was directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve yeah it is my uh, boy came out in love Denis 2015 yeah. um, and fucking amazing film. yeah and absolutely fantastic 92% on Rotten Tomatoes Deacons <laughs> <laughs> Um, Denis Villeneuve, Deacons. Yes, please. Sheridan's fucking right. And absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's it's a fantastic movie. Mm. And um, I think it's it's certainly the most widely seen of. Yes, of the three. Yeah, most definitely. definitely. Like I said, it's the one I've seen. Which it's (laughs) interestingly, it's the highest budget. Uh, yes, for being the first film, which is quite interesting, mm. um, but made the most money as well. Also true of the Carpenter trilogies as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, And obviously deals with the. American Mexican border, yeah, and the drug war going on there, and the nature of 
law enforcement, both from an American side and a Mexican side, and the kind of extra legal operations that are going on across that, mm. but also dealing with vengeance and a sense of justice outside of the law, particularly with Benicio del Toro's character. Yeah. Um, and you have um, Emily Blunt in there kind of in a very interesting role where she starts off and you think she's the main character. Yeah. And she slowly gets kind of boxed out by the film. And she is there to kind of represent the the kind of... Not necessarily the straightforward approach because she, it's not like she's a like rube or anything, mm. but but very much the idea that this problem can be tackled using just the conventional, reasonable force of law, um, and that the American ideal, what's portrayed yes, in the media yeah. and the the almost lone range, well, lone range is an example, but mm. the the typical cop with a badge, I can yeah. fix everything because yeah. I am the law. And it's like, yes, no, you're going to get in trouble, and things are a little bit more grey area. Yeah, yeah. there there yeah. are these laws, and if I enforce these laws, then good thing, you know, the the right will be reinforced. And it, and again, it's playing on a on a concept, and then making it a bit more, as you said, Matt, playing in the grey area, making it a bit more interesting. It's yes. not following the trope of being like, the lawman is the good guy and he yeah. is the infallible <laughs> hammer of justice and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. You actually have flawed characters and, and twists and turns that make it not your typical, it's two cops solving a crime. Mm. Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, you know, it gets kind of more and more complex and there's more and more shades of grey and questions of who is in a, a kind of moral or ethical good place here and are if, they and if, are they the same thing yes I mean, um, that way? is is there anyone who kind of comes out of this well yeah you know exactly uh, 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 just a very kind of complex look at that situation which is you know something that america has kind of deeply complicated through its its yeah, governmental actions and its policies and stuff i thought it was the greatest country in the world and there are no problems <laughs> and everything's fine we don't have coronavirus, so shut up. <laughs> um, so then, uh, 2016, we have Hell or High Water, which is directed by David McKenzie. I really like that film. Um, that a gets lot. a 97% Fucking on Rotten Tomatoes. And I've heard of it, but not seen it. Now I really want to see would, it. Oh, I would yeah. agree. I think it's the best. of. I think it's better than Cesario. Wow. I actually agree. Wow. I need to see this it's, film. It sounds amazing. But I love Ben Foster. Yeah, it's a lot smaller in scale. Like, Cesario is the biggest of these films. It's, interesting. It, it takes the a really interesting Biggest budget and the biggest. Yeah. Con- right, right. Um, Hell or High Water is essentially about two brothers who go on a bank robbing spree in Texas. And, I'm on board. Uh, oh, yeah. The brothers, Chris Pine, Ben yeah. Foster. Yes. Mm. What? Both playing just like the greasiest Texans you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I, like Chris Pine's shirt in this is like a thing of. <laughs> it's like a. It's like another character in the sense that it looks so dirty you think it could like. Like you could crawl put it down off. on the floor and it would crawl off. It'd be like yeah. the thing. It would yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a Bruce Willis vest. Yeah. Um and they are sort of pursued, but in a very roundabout way, by a pair of Texas Rangers, uh one of whom is Jeff Bridges. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Chuck Norris. <laughs> um, who is heading towards retirement. And it's essentially 
it kind of raises the question of why they are what what they are trying to achieve through this spree of bank robberies mm-hmm. and who is right to stop them and what basically kind of how far they will go to do the things that they need to do uh it's a very cleverly constructed thriller uh, extremely just paced within an inch of its life and like everybody's great in it pine, pine and foster are fantastic mm. they yes. really really play well as these siblings who don't really like each other but do love each other um, yes and have that family <laughs> yeah they have that kind of family bond of of no, not having like one of them's just got out of prison they haven't seen each other in quite a while and they have this difficult thing they're trying to do and they play off each other so well mm. um ben foster's just a fascinating actor like he is such a kind of uh raw presence whenever yeah. he shows up and and chris pine yeah, chris pine not chris pratt uh <laughs> chris pine i think is very underrated as an actor i think he gets lumped in with you know, it's because he's Chris's. yeah, it's because he's <laughs> he's a blonde, pretty guy who acts. Yeah, he's a fucking talented guy. Yeah, yeah, and so that that is a just a great heist thriller, and I I nice. bloody love a heist film. And then finally, there is uh, Wind River, which was directed by Sheridan himself, um, twenty seventeen, an eighty eight on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I These think, are all pretty fucking high scoring they're all movies. Pretty high scores. Sheridan I, is amazing. This is, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say this is like, a, this is a collection of basically ninety <laughs> percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which yeah. is bold for a trilogy. Yeah, I think it's fair to say this is probably the weakest. Oh yeah, that's that, but that's but not. It's yeah. still a ah, weakest good at eighty eight percent. just um, higher than all of the other movies we just <laughs> talked about in our respective yeah. trilogies. Um, and Wind River is set in Wyoming on the Wind River uh, Native American Reservation. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and it follows uh, Jeremy Renner uh, playing a tr- kind of tracker and hunter for the, like, I think it's like the Fish and Wildlife yes, I think so. Reserve oh, okay. or something. So his job is basically when there's animals that are preying on livestock, he goes out and tracks and hunts them. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he's in the process of doing that, he comes across a dead body on the Native American reservation. And he's someone who's very uh, tied to, even though he's not Native American, he's very tied to life on there. His ex-wife is from there. He's got kids who are oh, um, okay. part right. Native American. It's got, uh, weirdly enough, um, Elizabeth Olsen, his, his Avengers cohort, uh, as an FBI agent who's then called in to investigate what, mm. what went on. Okay. It kind yeah. of follows their investigation and how it kind of mirrors something that went on in Jeremy Renner's past. And and again, it's tying back to these ideas. Real life Jeremy Renner's past, I assume, because he's a terrible human being. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately. Although it does definitely feel like... Uh, I don't know whether you followed much of the Jeremy Renner app that happened like uh what was it about six months ago now but it definitely ties in he seemed to be kind of going for this very rugged outdoorsman lifestyle brand he was trying to start kind of thing and Mm. this definitely works in that because this is tried to start a terrible country pop imagine imagine (laughs) dragons meets country pop music career that was 
horrendous yeah. as well. Uh, but it's a this, pass from me. He, 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 the character that he's playing in this is very, you know, he's a rugged outdoorsman and he can, you know, track a mountain lion across the the snowy wastes and stuff like that. Man of the land. A man of the land. But he does, he does, he actually is very good in this and um, uh, his performance is fine. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, it, it kind of tying back to Cesario um, and also hell or high water it's a lot about where does the law fall short and where does revenge going back to the vengeance oh, interesting. Okay. where does where does revenge and vengeance and justice and taking law into your together. own hands Take, and all that kind exactly. of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah um and this that's kind of in a way the core of this trilogy is about and because you know the frontier is a very it's a uniquely american concept um and it's something that features really heavily in a lot of their literature and stuff like that because it's a it's something that only America has had where they've had a huge mass of land that they've been slowly expanding across that in theory is, you know, quote unquote untamed and obviously that comes in with a whole bunch of inherent racism and uh, the genocide of and the Native yeah, Americans. Colonialism and, yeah, and colonialism yeah, yeah. And, and manifest destiny and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But it, it's, a, it's a mindset that doesn't really... Everywhere else where people have been, I suppose apart from like um, kind of Australia... We've, you don't want to go colonising the outback. <laughs> that's not worth it. Um, it's full yeah, of snakes and spiders and shit. Wherever there's been kind of a history of people like expanding into a land there's already been like established not uh, civilization is the wrong word but like kind of similar cultures and that mm. have you know and it's tended to be oh now we have a war whereas what happened in america was very different just because the two civilizations that were meeting were so differently set up yes and, and so technologically disparate as well exactly yeah. Yeah. there's and also a lot of uh, theories especially about the conquistadors in south america and and you know european well, mm. northern europeans arriving in north america the concept that at the time mayans and aztecs were reaching a point of a bit of a bit of a zenith point mm. where they like kind of farm themselves out a little bit and it's mm. like oh we're in trouble and apparently that there had already been an allegedly allegedly a scholarly idea that in theory the native americans had already kind of had a big event before the europeans mm. got there so they were already on the back foot recovering as it oh were. right interesting uh, but yeah. i can mean, like that like an illness sort of set, like the yeah. disease sort of thing mm. so it's like you know not nearly yeah, we did bring all, us white people we, did bring we brought all more the diseases yeah, exactly yeah. here but, use these blankets yeah. covered in evil evil diseases i think it was leif erickson or someone like the vikings who first got to yeah you know in invoke comes north the north american continent mm. and saying no you couldn't see for the amount of smoke sort of come up the things so it was like mm. such a huge population yes and then when of course we came back again a couple hundred years later and it's like nope hugely different it's a lot more empty mm. it's like that's odd yeah so yeah but, yeah. Time, so. Um, but the this this concept of the frontier of kind of where society hasn't quite caught up with you and so kind of looking at that from a modern day perspective and looking at these areas of lawlessness and in obviously in uh, Cesario that's about the border and the sense of areas where just law cannot keep up you know you think of that um, the border crossing shootout yeah, and God, you've got yeah. this area that is so regulated and militarized and you have these 
who you would think would be you know the safest people in the world it's like you've got a convoy of Mm. the cia you know u.s operatives trained fucking killers (laughs) yeah and yet they are getting attacked you know in the middle of civilians Mm. and it's like no the the law does not protect you here because it's not fully in place it's the disparity between two clashing in this case countries between mexico and, and 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 the united states and because sort of butting heads on how things should or could be done, mm. there's no cohesion and therefore there is, as you say, the friction of the border mm. and the lawlessness that goes in between. And, and it, you're right, it is that frontier mindset. There's also the concept of... Th- there is an idea that where you are the closest to the law, it is most often being broken. Mm. Um, in the sense that you'd think, well, you know, most of the time people on their own in the wilderness... You don't want to break the law because technically there's no law to break. There's mm. nothing. No, it does. There's no benefit. Mm. And if you are going to kill the person next to you, how are you going to survive? Because the only ally you had, you just <laughs> killed. Um, you know the proper like Alaska style yeah, yeah. frontier. But in an, in a place enough where you've got like okay, what's what, I mean like if you talk like um, Washington for example, Washington mm-hmm. D.C. You know the laws are made here and broken yes. here, <laughs> and that's kind of the thing. And they, they, like you say, the border mindset, and then especially with the thematic trilogy here. Mm getting further and further away from that. So you've got the border yeah. where it's most intense and mm. everything's like, everyone's got guns, everyone's got laws, everyone's got their own conflicting agendas. Mm. Hell or high water. There's kind of only really one law here and a sense of of justice. And, and it's, the it's like the, the kind of the... The lawlessness there is very interesting because it, it kind of deals with the financial crash as well. Yes. Um, and there is this sense of these towns that have just been emptied out by economic collapse yes and so where there once was some kind of law that has kind of dissolved Mm -hmm. um and you have had this return to a certain kind of lawlessness or at least a a looser legal structure it's the street justice mindset of like this is what's right Mm. and i'm gonna do what's right it's like Mm. well that's still against the law the law is not protecting me anymore the law has failed me Mm. like oh that's not how the law works yeah and again that ties into your vengeance theme as well of like Mm. is is vengeance the right path is it's not always a path of redemption it's not always a journey of sure like oh yeah i'll report you to the police and then they'll do the right thing and then yeah yeah, that Mm. doesn't actually work out and there is a lot of corruption in some of the films we talked about as well especially in in the the vengeance trilogy you mentioned matt that not necessarily a theme across both, but it's something that comes up in and kind of crosses over between the two trilogies. Not so much in mine, I guess, unless you count <laughs> devils and aliens yeah. taking the law into their own hands. Yeah. But the law really of man, the... the law of God and reality. Well, yeah, I guess. So, yeah, the laws of reality, the laws yeah, of physics, laws of yeah. physics and stuff in, mm-hmm. in Prince of Darkness. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, And then you get to Wind River, for example, where it goes to almost complete bad. Like, mm. The law comes back in and says, well, this is how it should be. It's like, well... You're not really welcome here. Hmm. Well, Wind, Wind River especially is very interesting. Like, there's there's a point in it where they're discussing how, oh, okay, um, there's uh, there's been this death uh, on the reservation, so it technically falls under this jurisdiction. But because the the medical examiner can't rule it a murder because of the way that the the death happened, yeah. it means that like the FBI can't come in and investigate because they can only investigate certain crimes and because so of certain felonies and yeah, uh, yeah. the, uh, uh, the and, overarching and, law outreaches the local law. I don't know how America works. Well, so it's, it's 
jurisdiction on, on reservations it's especially there's these huge gray areas where yes, and, and, yeah. and that's you know they end, how they get away with all the gambling and all the crazy shit that, yeah, yeah yeah and it, it ends with this statistic of oh, or, or the absence of a statistic oh because makes you think they say how in in terms of crime statistics in america yes every demographic gets broken down and so you can track like okay right um you know african american women uh suffer crime at this rate and etc etc and there is no stats recorded for native americans interesting and fucked up yeah that's crazy so they don't exist they're and it's known that there is this horrible level of crimes, especially against Native American women, in terms of how often they go missing, in terms of how often they are murdered, and how often they are victims of sexual assault. But there are no stats for it. Mm. There's just wow. this knowledge that it happens m- way more than you know the average figures, mm-hmm. but just no numbers. Um, mm. And... Uh, so it, the film is a lot about that kind of where you have these areas, and, and again, this kind of applies to the whole trilogy, where you have these areas where the law isn't paying attention. How do you find justice there? Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and just to kind of like reel through some other interesting thematic connections, mm. um, despite the fact that you have three different directors working here, mm. there are some casting connections. Oh, yeah. So, uh, John Bernthal shows up in Cesario in a kind of small but pivotal role. Which apparently yeah. they kind of tacked on at mm. the last minute. That wasn't in the original script, and it's just mm. so... He's great <laughs> in that movie. He's so good. He also has a small but pivotal role in Wind River. Oh, interesting. And he does, yeah. it does a really interesting... You get to a certain part of the film just as the tension is at its peak... And then it does this flashback sequence that lasts about 10 minutes. Wow. That it doesn't, I wouldn't say it completely changes how you're watching the film, but it is. It gives you a different perspective. Every, everything clicks into place. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he kind I, of features I in that. need to part. see these fucking films. Seriously. I've yeah. just queued them up. I'm, I'm ready <laughs> yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Gil Birmingham, who's a Native American actor, mm. shows up in Hell or High Water mm-hmm. um, playing Jeff Bridges' partner. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. And then also is in Wind River. Uh, he is fantastic in both. He's a I really great agree actor. so much. Um, and then the other thing is that there are a lot of visual similarities despite the different directors it, because these films, because they're kind of modern day Westerns in, in various different forms, the, such a key concept in that is the sense of landscape. Of course, And they yeah, are all in yeah. these different but stark, stark and sparsely beautiful parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like mm-hmm. Wind River is these amazing snowscapes uh, mm-hmm. it, up on the reservation um and you have the texas countryside in in hell or high water and then mm. you have you know um the kind of mexican border which i just think of the sky for some reason that mm. film sicario just the, the the endless yeah sky and you're right hell or high water just angles it down a little bit yeah and you see the ground a bit more and the the, the vegetation and, and the, the towns it's yes just, yeah it's just and then crazy. hell or high water because you're in a mountainous area there's and you've got snow and gray sky you kind of have there's, oh, all, there's really, times yes, where yeah. they, you can't really tell where 
parts where the sky ends and the landscape yeah. begins. Um, so yeah, it's it's an incredibly consistent trilogy, despite the fact that you've got different mm-hmm. directorial voices on each. Yes, I wonder so. if that comes from Sheridan's script. I wonder how specific he is. With I would think probably his, yeah. the setting his idea of direction. Mm. Obviously, he did direct one of them, as you yeah. said, mm. but like he directed the third one, so maybe he went in with a conscious thought going into the third one to kind of tie mm. that in visually. Mm. And I think I think because they all have that feeling of that kind of modern or postmodern Western, mm. even mm. you're using a lot of the visual language going back to those old classic films. Of course, films. yeah. yeah. So, I think it's it's only natural that there would be that mm. sense of consistency. The script it, also does dictate the pacing. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of them are really, not languid, that's a very, very mm. derogatory phrase, but it's very t- tempered in its pace. The, the, Methodical. The, the, yeah, the yeah. beats yeah. are there that allow you, that, that want you to slow down and appreciate kind of where you are mm. in terms of landscape. And, and you know, in certainly in Wind River, like the the actual location is so important to it because you are in this very harsh environment um you know elizabeth olsen's character shows up and it's just like yeah i just got here from las vegas like i can't go out in the snow because i'm not mm. dressed for it no, you know yeah. um but yeah absolutely a trilogy uh, yeah i, I think it's, it's, it's very much like if, if you've ever crossed or been part of the midwest in america if you go on either coast there's so much going on there's so much vibrancy and so much <laughs> shifting landscape but in the midwest you drive for an hour and everything looks exactly the same because what's in the distance on the horizon either side you haven't got there yet mm. and you just, and but, but because of that you get to take in what's around you and there's a sort of a stillness if you will and that's mm. that's something that's romanticized a bit quite oh, often of in westerns yeah, yeah, yeah. but here it's sort of both romanticized and terrifying at the same time so yeah. yeah i remember there was i think it was on qi and rich hall gave this amazing like usually he's just there for the laughs and doesn't get any actual like comments or, sure. or anything like that and he suddenly comes up with like there are roads that are so long and straight in america that they have a little kink in them to correct for the earth's curvature <laughs> mm-hmm. because american roads just go on mm. forever yeah. and you will drive for nine hours straight between one town and the next town and that's it so, so you better fill up your fucking gas <laughs> tank because it's nine hours to the next town and mm. um, it's so weird and um, like friends of mine in america or you hear stories of like oh yeah i went to even some simple things like oh i went to a concert oh where was that six and a half hours away i'm yeah. like oh you mean <laughs> Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could yeah. be in fucking Scotland in six hours if I really motored up there. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I would never think like, oh yeah, I'll book tickets to see my favourite band no. in Scotland. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, London. Ugh, it's two hours away. What yeah. a fucking hassle. Yeah. Whereas be- Americans are like, yeah. fuck it, I'll drive across an entire co- mm. like an entire county that is mm. the size of England yeah. just to be like, oh, I'll go and see like my friend. It's interesting because I think it's the nature of how the country is formed uh, in terms of like, you know, contemporary society and roads and shit because our towns are circular like when you cut down a tree and they've been grown up from a hamlet to a mm. whatever and you can't really drive in Britain for a long time without hitting some bullshit. Yeah. Um, and or some the fucking s- castle or some something. castle or the, or the <laughs> fucking sea. Um, and then you hit Europe. Um, and then you could say, so for example, it's like the equivalent of like, oh, I'll just drive. To, again, I've driven to Belgium and back one day. Mm. In one day? In one fucking day. Really? It was a mistake. That was a terrible <laughs> idea. It was with an axe. It was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> you said it was with an axe. <laughs> I went and murdered a Belgian and came I, straight back home. I drove with an axe to Belgium to Bruges, and I drove back, and I completely I went forgot. to fucking Bruges. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Bruges. Um, 
But did you murder I, a dwarf? I didn't, but I forgot to change my watch back an hour or forward an hour, <laughs> so I got back just in time for the fucking uh, Eurostar back. But anyway, <laughs> point is that yeah, the the, the mo- notion of like, driving somewhere in the states, and again, it's just like oh, I'll take the I whatever, and you're like mm. driving for what feels like forever, <laughs> and it's such a mind fuck. There's a I don't know if it's a Neil Gaiman quote or a book by Neil Gaiman where he quotes someone else who said this. Uh-huh. But um, it's uh, Europe has history, America has geography. Ah, is that good... an American Gods? I feel like that might be an American, American Gods. Yeah. I think it's in the introduction to American. Yeah, I think Gods. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good thing though, and it's, and it's not a derogatory comment about mm. either. Mm. It's just the sense yeah. that I oh, know it is, but <laughs> but the, the, they don't have history. They're like two hundred years old. Fuck them. But the point is that <laughs> it's the the proximity, mm. and it also in the nature of when we say like they have any history, it's like. Well, white history. Yes, um, but they kind of killed off the other history. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's kind that's kind of the you thing. You go, go far back enough in American history. Oh, it's British history. Uh, you were us, and we were you. Ah, we're terrible people. That's very true. Yeah. Well, shit. I have a bunch of films to watch now. Yeah, uh, this... incredibly critically acclaimed <laughs> and highly rated. Hopefully, films the audience does to... as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I, um, I've got to admit, yeah, I've only seen one a piece of your your guys's. Offerings, Ooh, so. I assume you've only seen uh, Prince of Darkness. <laughs> yeah, said, Prince, Prince said of Darkness no one and ever. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to see Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance from mm-hmm. yours, yeah. and I need to see. Wind River and Hell or High Water from yours, mm-hmm. so I'm 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 excited. Hopefully, like I said, hopefully the listeners have got some uh, stuff in their queue to watch and yeah. enjoy as well. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with us. Like, oh, a that's not a trilogy. I hate the thing and Sicario, <laughs> and they're all shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's one kind of like famous one from each trilogy as well. Like most people have yes. either seen or at least heard of the thing seen or at least heard of Sicario and mm. seen or at least heard of Old Boy yeah and then the trilogy kind of builds and expands from there and, and whether you not necessarily in the right order but mm. yeah mm. and it's kind of the beauty of these sorts of trilogies because you can watch them without, in any order and, 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 with, yeah, in some ways and as well yeah without there being without if you know some people They'll watch a film and they'll be like, oh, I don't want to watch the sequel because I can't really remember. I wasn't really paying attention where the, when I watched the first one or, yeah. or whatever. Um, it's more a case of, well, if you liked that film, then you'll probably like this film. Yes. Um, mm. And it's an interesting way to kind of, and then you can, you know, perhaps then go, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I like these. What else has the director done? Or, you know, what else has the It opens up done? a whole yeah. wide range of things. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. So uh, there are some other examples as well we didn't touch on. I know we... Tim kind of spun off and did the this is the screenwriter thematic trilogy. <laughs> screw you guys. Screw your rules, man. Tim's the cool like skater kid of the group just <laughs> to tell us to go fuck ourselves. But Matt, I think you wanted to discuss some other options and some other ideas we just had briefly, when we yeah. were talking about the idea and coming up with our lists and things like that. Yeah. So there are other alternatives um, that we could be drawing upon. Um, and unfortunately, there are three very director driven ones as well, but also three from different countries. Mm. So we mentioned like Edgar Wright, for example, uh, Kieslowski with the the Three Colors trilogy and all the various bits and pieces. So one, let's take Van Zandt, Gus Van Zandt's Death trilogy. Gus Van Zandt, people, I think, again, his big hit is going to be... um, The Psycho remake, (gasps) right, guys? The (laughs) Shot for Shot remake. Fucking Vince Vaughn. Oh, what a terrible idea. <laughs> no, good speaking of Speaking of old boy level terrible ideas for remakes. Yeah. What a terrible idea for a remake. Yeah. Entirely. I agree with you. Um, 
No, it's uh, it's I say Goodwill Hunting is, is mm. definitely gas fans and Goodwill Hunting too. Hunting season. Yes, applesauce, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he did a thing called the Death Trilogy, which is Last Days. It's a sort of semi Kurt Cobain kind of mm. thing. Jerry uh, with Matt Damon and, and Kate Affleck, say, and Elephant, which is about school shooting, and it is the nature of death and how we uh, absorb, perceive. Say how it affects us as a society, as a people, on a small scale, a large scale, and different bits and pieces like that. And it's all mm. quite introverted and, and incredibly fucking independent America. Very mm. Northwest America, but sort of like um, Oregon, Wisconsin kind of feel to mm. it. Um, then we have Baz Luhrmann, Mark Antony Luhrmann, <laughs> Bazza, um, uh, with his Red Curtain trilogy. Baz Luhrmann is an Australian. Um, does some interesting cinema I think there's some really solid films he's done but also mm. some fucking whack job bullshit <laughs> he um, I, like I f- I really want to go back and rewatch his Romeo and Juliet mm, because me too. Um, I still like it a lot what what a fantastically weird film yeah um, and I, I really like what he does with it that came out when I was in school in uh, yeah London mm. and, uh, and, and it was basically so weird because I thought oh <gasps> We can learn about this. And there's a cool English teacher in, in Nicky B, the old high school. Mm. Uh, sorry, Nicholas Briggs, but Roman Catholic High School. Mm. Uh, well, secondary school, so secondary school, before I moved to Norwich. And um, he had a poster in the back of his class of that film. Mm. And I was like, shit. A teacher's so cool. Is, it really was. Like, <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, so the, the three films are Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, and Moulin Rouge, which is about the idea of expression of... Uh, well, through different mediums. The first one's through dance, second through poetry and language, because obviously Shakespeare, mm. and the third is through song. And it's like that concept is brilliant. And, and mm. then the, the theatre, the theatricality of what cinema mm. can be. And it, it sounds weird saying it's an Australian thing, but it is a very Australian mm. thing about how to really get that sort of across. It's, it's quite and curious. Very kind of tied to the idea of just like passion, like overwhelming yes, passion and entirely. stuff. Entirely. Like and then, but then I should also point out that Strictly Borum is interesting. It's fine. I think it's mm. okay film. I really like Romeo and Juliet and mm. Moulin Rouge is not good. Yeah. Um, I really, I, a lot of people like Moulin Rouge, but they're wrong. I don't think they've seen it recently. I no. can't have because that opening oh, scene I like you, is McGregor. so fucked up. Yeah, you, play, you played that for I us did. before. Mm. With the, uh, there's no other way of saying it. The Jim Broadbent starring amazing, the ridiculous thing rap, scene. What's it called? The, uh, I can't remember his character's name, but the something I rap. I don't care. Yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> um, with uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, someone was uh, pointing out how uh, tragic it is that Mr. Brightside came out like a couple of years after Moulin Rouge because oh, it would have that would gone definitely in so perfectly. Absolutely. That's a good point. Um, and the third one I want to bring up is way fucking back in the past. Um, Sergei Eisenstein's Revolution Trilogy. More kind of historical biography as much as it is uh, 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 through the trilogy. So the Eisenstein trilogy is Strike, Battleship Potemkin and October. Battleship Potemkin is a big and again all these the all one three of these have, heard of, yeah. have a big one. I think Van Sant's one's the probably Lions last days. Stand up. <laughs> <laughs> um last days is probably the um the big one there. Moulin Rouge um well, that's a hard one to gauge for the. For I the, mean, they're all pretty big. They're the all pretty big, yeah, yeah. But the Eisenstein one, Battleship Potemkin, which mm. is inspired so much, and most notably, if you've seen the Untouchables, the scene with the um, the baby carriage going down the steps, yes. yeah, 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 and it's very so. Strike is about. Uh, You're it, about to say a strike. Then. 
Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, sorry. It's, it's all about the same thing. It's all about the revolution in 1917 in, in Russia, mm. at, at different ways of showing it. Strike is more about the actual workers themselves. Battleship Potemkin is about the the just oppression of the people in the streets and obviously the, the naval side of things. And October is literally a representation of the October uprising in in 1917. Um, so much so that they actually have a lot of. It's quite again. It's very much a biographical, uh, sorry, a historical piece. I should say, like a documentary. Should, that's the one I'm for a documentary, because um, St. Petersburg at the time, and all there is it's set in around Moscow and everything else. It looks so shot up and crazy, and there's like dead horses and something. Mm. It's like yeah, because this was filmed shortly after that shit actually happened. Oh wow! They hadn't okay. finished clearing all that stuff away effectively. It's, it's a strange exaggeration. Mm. It's all very. It's so very in the moment. Very grounded in that time period. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned the margin call in the past about how, because it's set in 2000, and, well, it's not set in 2000, it's, it's set at the time and most importantly filmed at the time, the financial crisis, before it became a big, huge thing, before mm. the public knew what was coming. It was on the cusp of it. So they could literally talk about it in the moment of it and mm. give a different perspective. So these three are really time capsule pieces and they tell the history of that sort of thing but it's also as a as a thematic visual trilogy it's partly celebratory of like hey we mm. did it we overthrew mm. the bourgeoisie but it's also hey this was really violent mm. and really <laughs> fucking bad yeah. and i don't know what's coming next and it goes because it's a precursor to stalinism and world war 2 and everything mm. that's coming and cuz obviously this is set just in the throes of, like, of world, world war one yeah. exactly. mm. it's so weird to watch but yeah so those three um in of themselves massively disparate differently mm. but they're all quite interesting to watch visually as well mm. interesting so hopefully we're giving you an abundance of things to, to yeah. go out and see go and, and, check and out. we'd obviously love to hear from you yes if you've got ideas of of different thematic trilogies or i'm perhaps, sure our listeners do perhaps um even ones that you know that you think fit together, but uh, you know, don't have a connecting creative behind them. Mm. Um, One or... could argue the the death and rebirth trilogy of Star Trek, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the two, three, and four. Yeah, mm. but yeah, we've it's it's um it's always nice to kind of dig into these uh, slightly different kinds of. Uh, film recommendations. You know, and, uh, I always, speaking of film recommendations, the thing I always enjoy about these ones is that I come away wanting to watch more films mm. because yes. with sequelizers, <laughs> we get to like, I never want to see a mask film ever again. <laughs> I think Son of the Mask has ruined the mask for me and that I, I will just be like sure. PTSD traumatized, like, please don't use the fisheye lens. Please don't use the fisheye lens. <laughs> oh my God, he's a giant chin. Uh, like, we fix and watch so many bad films together. Like we pretty much exclusively sit down and watch bad films together yeah, for our yeah. commentary tracks and stuff. And we spend so much time thinking about and rewriting bad films. It's so nice to make recommendations and talk about things we love. Mm-hmm. And even if we're doing it to the listeners, which is kind of like often the position I come from, because as as you all know, I'm typically the least well-versed in, in cinema of the three of us. I then come away with like this incredibly highly rated Hello High Water from Tim that I heard of. I was like, oh, I didn't think anything of it. I'd heard mm. it's really good and blah, blah, blah. That was it. Knew it's critically acclaimed. And then both Tim and Matt went, go and watch it right now. It's fucking masterpiece. I was like, oh, okay, I will do. And I love having that thing. And hopefully, listeners, you're in a similar position to the three of us. And, and Tim said the same thing. He's seen one 
from each of our trilogies as well. So you now have yeah. other stuff if you're in the mood for that kind of thing. If you know you've seen The Thing and you like mm. The Thing, go and check out the other two. If you've seen Old Boy, maybe go and mm. check out the other two that way. And the same again for Sicario. I've seen Sicario. Now I want to go and see the other two. It's this <laughs> yeah, perfect, yeah. like, you often get a little gateway of the most popular one or the one you've heard of mm. or the one that got the, you know, the big buzz at the time, yes, whatever yes. it was. And then now you've got this gateway drug in there. So if you have any other recommendations like that for us listeners, maybe something we haven't heard of, or if there is one that is the the jumping in point and then expands out into some really interesting and unusual stuff we don't know, let us know. Hit us yeah, up. Social medias, at Sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. If you've got longer recommendations, you can email us, sequelizers at gmail.com. And yeah, let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, we'd really appreciate some recommendations. If you agree with us, disagree with us, think I'm insane for enjoying <laughs> Prince of Darkness as much as I do, let us know. It'd be, it'd be, uh, it is always good to chat with people. Yeah. Because yeah. we obviously talk to ourselves about these things, and it, it sounds like such a wanky thing to okay. say, but it's so fucking fun. <laughs> Tim put in our little uh, group message, like, I'm really looking forward to tonight's chat. It's going to be so interesting. And it was, and it is. Mm. And... Obviously, I know from you guys, um, I, I heard a great description of a podcast, which is, how does one best describe what it's like to be a poltergeist? It's to hear something that you either love and or think is wrong on a, po- on a podcast, and you can't stop people talking <laughs> about it. So if someone's like saying, oh yeah, no, I remember that movie. I had David Duchovny I watched, in I it. watched so, Sicario and hated it. Yeah. And they're like, no! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like oh, David Duchovny was great in Sicario. He's not, he's not in it. And all of us go, yeah, he is. It's like, no, he's... No, he's not in it. <laughs> Fuck, Jesus! And you get yeah. so angry, you just want to chuck something around the room. Yeah. Poltergeist style. Um, <laughs> but effectively, with obviously the feedback on mm. the internet and Twitter and stuff and, and the Discord and everything else, mm. you can join in with us. We can yeah. defend yeah, ourselves. Dis- Discord's a great place Discord to like is kicking off. Chat with Jesus, us about... it's hard to keep up with I love some, I love... Considering... I had no idea basically what a Discord was. <laughs> As in, I, it's on the internet, and I think it's a thing that gamers use. I have no idea. Mm. I'm an old man. Now I'm on that shit, and basically if I'm on my phone, Emma will lean over and go, you want Discord again? I'm like, maybe. <laughs> Shut up. Talking about wrestling and video games and comics. I'm talking to my friends. Talk, talk to friends and like-minded people on a platform that's not full of bullshit and trolls and horrible... <laughs> Hatred. Hatred, yeah. It's, Yet. I'd like to think we've built a nice little community there. Yeah, we do. Our listeners and our fans and, and the three of us, I think, are really able to have great conversations about stuff. A thing I really like about it is we can branch out from films as well. We've yes. got different channels for anime, comics, video games, wrestling. Yes. Whatever you want to talk to Jack, us about. Jack's newly minted wrestling Yeah. <laughs> we have a specific Good Crow, Bad Crow chat. It's been going good, quite some time. We have a Good Crow, Bad Crow specific channel that you're welcome to drop in. We, na- to, we yeah. have uh, specific Good Crow, Bad Crow emojis on there. Oh, yeah. We have Matt, Jack and Tim <laughs> emojis on yeah. there. I'm building the collection. Don't worry, we'll have we'll have some Jack Crow, Matt Crow, Tim Crow, and all that kind of stuff. By the time you hear this episode, they'll be it'll be full of wonderful little emojis as created by our good pal John Scarrett. Mm. And if you want to join us on the Discord, you can go to Patreon.com/sequelizers mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, follow the links in there. Contribute mm-hmm. if you wish. If you are able to support us financially, we really appreciate it. There is ad-free episodes, early access. For the various different tiers, depending on which tier and how much you support us, you can choose your reward and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, $10 or more, you get all the bonus content. I mentioned commentary tracks. Yep. Upcoming in season six, we're doing some more commentary tracks for some Mm -hmm. very interesting, controversial, terrible, and 
I can't wait to rewatch them with you guys yeah. kind of films. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed doing that for season five. I'm going to hopefully enjoy mm. watching terrible films again with you guys <laughs> in season six. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of outtakes. We're starting to do uh, bonus content and regular features like what have we been watching recently and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So it's not just kind of, oh, it didn't make it into the episode. Here's a deleted scene or whatever. Mm. We're actually producing original content. We had an Oscars live watch and discussion and predictions for three (laughs) hours of extra bonus content for you guys. So if you are available to support us, then we really appreciate it. And hopefully we feel like we're giving you value for money for your support and things like that. Yes. If you have an idea for us to fix a particular sequel, particular film, you can even support us at a level where you can recommend stuff to us and say, hey, guys, season six is coming up. I want you to do this do this now season seven i want you to do this Mm. and there's options even to we have a one vote per season as well Mm -hmm. and anyone who pays five dollars or more per month you can join in the vote and pick usually between three options and uh yeah Mm. decide which of these three options we're gonna fix we like to give everybody levels of something for their contribution basically exactly um no matter what the the form is effectively Yeah. yeah and obviously Again, if you're such a hardcore sequelizers fan. I am. Good. But also, you can show that to your friends and family. Like, say, for example, it's uh, a wedding and you're going along and your best man and the uh, the groom has said to you, could you possibly wear this outfit to match? And you're like, yes. And then on the day you turn up and you're not, you're in jeans. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You ruin my wedding. It's like, do you see this T-shirt? It's a sequelizer. <laughs> you rip open your shirt to reveal the sequel. We've pos- positioned the sequelizer's logo in the uh, Superman. the Superman yeah. style, shall yeah. we say, where it's it's front and center on your chest. So you, if you do want to rip open a couple of buttons, yeah, you want to do a, a little sneaky Clark Kent reveal, yeah, please do. It's 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 there so that if you hear someone nearby, perhaps at work or in the queue for the bus or something, just kind of going like. Um, Oh, I like that film. Uh, is the sequel any good? You can then just like tear your shirt nah, open and go, nah, I nah, have nah. opinions about this. John Williams style version of our yeah. theme song does. <laughs> um, but that's that's available now on our on our shop. Mm. And you can buy it. And then the more designs will be coming soon. And they are fucking fantastic. Vino Sangre did amazing t shirts and yeah. You can do lots of that. We'll have stuff. more stuff coming from our wonderful designer John Scarrett coming up soon. Yeah. More merch, more t shirts, and if you're a patron, you can get some lovely discounts on all of our merch as well. True, so true. We're hopefully giving back to you in that way as well. And That's it's uh, worldwide shipping available to anyone. We've got nice little uh, eco-friendly mail bags and everything like that. We're trying to do what we can as, as you know, as a small, phrase, aware people, a small yeah. business. Yeah. We, we are now a business, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. Sequelizers Limited is a thing, folks. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing. We are now small business owners and uh, we're trying to do what we can for the environment, for you guys and try and build it up as much as we Mm. can and still keep it kind of local and and driven by the three of us. Yes. So, uh, yeah, if you do want to links to any of that stuff, you can follow us on all the various different podcast apps and various platforms. You can go to sequelizers.com. There's various links on the website there or search for us on whichever pod pod app you're using pod chasing sure. pod catching you got your your man at stitcher we've always been supportive of stitcher yep apple podcasts google podcasts what a podcast addict spotify, whatever you they're, not spotify. A, they're not a podcast thing but we're yeah. on there we're on all kinds of different stuff and if you uh can't support us financially another way of supporting us you can leave us a little review 
We'd really yeah. appreciate that. And that would uh, help us grow and help us get better opportunities and mm. be seen by other people who are p- perhaps looking for a... Oh, I need a podcast that, like, fixes sequels. <laughs> I just... There's so many bad sequels out there. I need somebody to, like, write rewrite sequels for mm. me. And then they'll be like, oh, this one's got five stars. I wonder what this is like. I'll come and check that out. We had a little discussion a while ago about uh, where people have jumped onto the podcast. It's always really interesting because some of them are literally an episode Not for episode series. episode one. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Let's start with... Audio's terrible. Start with series five at the minute because everything's shifted. <laughs> um, but the only people who jumped in with like a certain essay, like, oh, I really love this film. I really want to see you fix mm. this film. I love Escape from, uh, from, from New York. I, I'm so glad you guys covered that. And that's how I found you. Or alternatively, the interseason discussions. It's like, oh, I loved your video game chat because that yes. was where it got on board. I was really interested. That's interesting to me personally, but I love that we had the option to do that. And equally, without saying reviews and stuff, recommending to your friend, just literally tweeting out saying, hey, you specifically, you'd really like this. We do get that on Twitter sometimes. I see like, oh, they recently fixed this thing. It's like, hey, Bob, <laughs> you know how you hate Dark Knight Rises? <laughs> These guys did do. a Dark Knight yeah. Rises episode. Go check it out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you have any suggestions, any ideas for us to, even for us to check out, I'm always up for listening to new podcasts. Yes. I consume many a podcast in my daily life, so... I don't. Yeah, hit us up, let us know. And we will see you next week for more inter-season goodness. <laughs>